Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We'll look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17, reflecting upon all of the commandments that we've been preaching through. And uh, <laughs> I came across this. Actually, Kevin DeYoung mentions it in his commentary, the, uh, this movie clip from Jane Austen's In Love and Friendship. It's a movie based on her short novel, Lady Susan. And it's a typical plot of Jane Austen, right, to um, uh, where there's a recently widowed woman who's seeking to find a suitable husband for herself and then also hoping to find a wealthy husband for her daughter. And there's a brilliant scene where Susan's daughter, Frederica, has, uh, has run away and is now inter- like interacting with friends. And there's a wealthy individual named Sir James Martin who comes um, to the place where they are, where she is, where they're meeting. Um, and he tries to impress everyone with his knowledge. And so he says this, This reminded me of many such accounts one learns in childhood. Perhaps the most significant in forming one's principles is that of the old prophet who came down from the mount bearing the twelve commandments, which our Lord has taught us to obey without fail. And so someone interrupts him and says, excuse me, I I believe there were only ten. He says, really? Only ten must be obeyed? Excellent. Well then, which two to take off? Perhaps the one about the Sabbath. I prefer to hunt. After that, it becomes tricky. Many of the thou shalt nots, don't murder, don't covet thy neighbor's house or wife, one simply wouldn't do anyway, because they are wrong, whether the Lord allows us to take them off or not. Anyways, it's a, it's, it's a funny, hilarious scene, um, and, and I, I fear that sometimes we interpret the relevance of the moral law in a similar fashion today. And we think we can pick and choose which ones apply. And even if you don't think you can do that, figure out which, which uh, commandments to take off, we do tend to misunderstand their purpose for the believer and their use, if any, for the world. So we also providentially find ourselves concluding this series on the Ten Commandments during the week of Thanksgiving. So regardless of how different Thanksgiving 2020 will be for you and your family, uh, it is a time, a special time, to reflect upon God's gracious kindness to us this year. Ligonier sent out a a Thanksgiving card several decades ago, and it simply read this, The essence of theology is grace. The essence of Christian ethics is grace is gratitude. The essence of theology is grace. The essence of Christian ethics is gratitude. And I think it's a wonderful summary of what I want to convey in this message. We should never divorce the Ten Commandments from that gracious prologue in Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, where God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of that house of bondage or out of the house of slavery. 
That gracious rescue of God is then followed by the giving of the Ten Commandments. And so the only proper response to the grace of God is gratitude. And in the essence of that expression is our ethics or our obedience. And that's why following John Calvin, we've placed that reciting of the Ten Commandments after the Lord's Supper. It's symbolic of this very thing. It would be appropriate to place them just prior to our confession of sin. Many churches do that, in fact, and it's, it's helpful there as well because it helps us to see and recognize the ways in which we have broken God's law. And so then we can enter into a time of confession about that. So that's sort of the, the recognition of the first use of the law as a mirror that points out, reveals our sin. Um, reading the Ten Commandments can remind us of the many ways in which we have fallen short of the glory of God, as Romans 3.23 tells us. However, it's equally valid to place them after the Lord's Supper as a reminder of the third use of God's law as a map or a guide for believers. It's, it's a guide for us to live a life that is pleasing to God. All right, so as we conclude this series, it's perfectly appropriate to consider why we ought to be filled with such thankful hearts as we delight in God's moral law. So before we read it, let's ask the Lord for his help in understanding it. Heavenly Father, we are grateful once again for this opportunity to sit under the preaching of your word. Lord, we know that you do a work in and through your word for your believers. You, you speak to us exactly what we need to hear, whether it's to bring conviction or comfort or both. Lord, we are... We are here to, to learn and to listen. And but we need we need your help. We need your spirit to give us eyes to see and to give us ears to hear and to soften our hearts that we would respond in obedience to the truth of your word, Lord, and incline our hearts to your word right now. Lord, you, you unite our, our divided minds for this purpose of sitting under your word, and asking you to do a work in our hearts. And then satisfy us this morning with the goodness of your word, that we truly would be transformed and changed, that we would respond in obedience, that we would be doers of your word and not hearers only. So Lord, may you be glorified even now as we read your word and as you use it in our lives to transform us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Read with me Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Amen. This is God's holy word. Well, as uh, you follow along in your outline, you can open that up. And the first point I want us to consider is, is the topic of keeping God's law. We're instructed on keeping God's law. Uh, one response I have frequently heard, maybe more than any other series that we've done here at this church, is... Man, that was convicting. Uh, and while I hope that I, I left you, I, 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 I never left you without the comfort of the gospel, that it wasn't just convicting, but that it was also comforting at times, um, the conviction is by design. There's a purpose in that conviction. Right? If you aren't convicted by a proper understanding of the Ten Commandments, then the only reason could be that you... Do not have a proper understanding of your deceitful heart. So no one has the ability to keep the law perfectly. No one. No matter how extensively God has poured out his grace upon them, they will continue to fall short of that perfect standard revealed by God's moral law. James emphasizes our inability to bridle our tongues as a clear symptom of how prone we are to stumble. It would take a perfect man, he says, to always communicate in God-honoring ways. So we can go a step further and say that we cannot even keep one of the commandments perfectly at any point in our lives. Think of those times when we're at the peak of holiness, when you feel like everything's just falling into place and you're, you're operating just by the Spirit, you're doing everything that you feel like you're called to do in those moments, even the best of our works will be tainted by impure motives and selfish ambitions. In fact, we break these commandments daily in thought, word, and deed. And so the most righteous individual on the planet sins daily. Anyone who claims to be without sin proves that they have deceived themselves and does not have the truth of God and his word in their hearts. And so after many years of apostolic ministry, Paul, as we read earlier in Romans chapter 7, would admit that even though he had the desire to do the right thing, he lacked the ability to carry it out in himself. And he had already explained A few chapters prior, in chapter 3, verse 20, 
of Romans, he'd explain that our inability to keep the law is actually part of its purpose. Part of the reason why God revealed it is, is meant to leave every mouth stopped so that we could never tell God we've, we've earned something. We've earned his favor. Maybe you're an ambitious person in life. I, I am not typically one of those people. I, I, can, I can be. It depends. Right? But it, home projects don't generally get my juices flowing. I tend to put them off. And I find it really easy to imagine tackling something that I've never done before. Um, I can envision the finished product in all of its glory. I look at the pictures, you know, that my wife has hearted on Pinterest, and I say, oh, yeah, we can do that. I block off that time, what I think is an adequate amount of time, which is always never enough. I make plans to purchase the material, but despite my best intentions, the project takes twice as long, costs twice as much, and in some cases never gets started. And now I I will say I've gotten better at determining what is out of my league. I don't attempt plumbing anymore. Uh, I I can't replace anything beyond a battery in cars. Don't ask me to, or you might lose more than you asked for. Uh, I don't generally experiment in the kitchen. Ramen noodles is sort of my specialty, Um, but I I am pretty good at that. So the Israelites, they they were hasty to commit to more than they were capable of accomplishing. They did this frequently. In the previous chapter, in chapter 19, the Lord reminded them of how he had rescued them from Egypt. uh, Out of the, you know, rescued them from the Egyptians and then promised to make them a treasured possession if they obeyed his voice and kept his covenant. You see this in uh, verses 3 through 6 of Exodus 19. And here's their response, which they declare in unison. 